Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. Loving the podcast? Want more from the Ruins of Empire universe? Want the latest updates about this and the other projects I'm working on? Well, you can go to www.sagaofinsanity.com and check out chapter-by-chapter author commentary, book reviews, and just random madness from the mind of Jeremy L. Jones. Just a warning, he's not quite right in the head. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, book two of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author. Chapter 6 And again, the absent president of Brazil was seen by contemporary sources as a joke, proof that the Brazilian people, entranced by the irrational romance of Adriana's story, could not be trusted with a democratic government. Meanwhile, nanotechnology had evolved to the point that recording devices smaller than a pin could be smuggled in and out of even the most secure corporate prisons, and their low price meant that thousands could make their way to and from the United States and Brazil. In that way, Adriana accomplished the impressive feat of ruling her country from inside a high-security prison on foreign soil. Even more impressive, she managed to spearhead the first coordinated military action on United States soil since the World Wars of the mid-20th century. From The Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff. It was a kill zone, thought Vago. The street leading into Cytheria was a kill zone, and they were walking right into the middle of it. For one, high walls built of white stone ran along either side of the road. From up there, the people walking below were as threatening as a target practice dummy, and they'd have a similar lifespan as well. There would be no getting away. The rough cobblestone streets could cause a person in the grip of panic to lose their footing, and from there, they would be an easy target. There was no way to climb the walls. A routed army, stumbling and clawing at the sides, would be at the mercy of the defenders. The streets would become a charnel house. Vago pressed his hand against his jacket pocket and felt the gun in the holster against his ribs. It was a strange kind of comfort. They were all likely dead if the crowd turned ugly, but his weapons left a tiny but attractive window of uncertainty. And there was a crowd. By the look of it, their arrival was the biggest thing to happen in Cytheria since, well, ever. There was someone in every inch of the wall looking down at the procession. The noise was deafening. The emissary led the way, dancing, shouting, and clapping her hands like a flamboyant grand marshal in the weirdest parade the universe had ever seen. Behind her, the Human Reconnection Project hesitantly waved at the crowd, and behind them, the captain of the guard and his troops marched in time. Upon the walls, the people cheered. It was a festive occasion, but Vago couldn't push fear out of his mind. Porcullises hung inside archways that led to stairways in the city above. He imagined they could drop and make this thoroughfare into a one-way road in every sense of the phrase. On top of that, Vago felt something sinister hidden behind those walls, although he couldn't identify what. The captain of the guard must have been reading Vago's mind because he hurried to walk beside him. This is the Via Maximiliano. Many invaders have attempted to sack the city of Cytheria. 
Only our greatest general was able to lead an army through this street. There is no escape from here. Consider it a fair warning, my friend. The captain spoke in the Cytherian language, and, once again, Vago found he could understand it. Vago searched his brain for something to say, but drew a blank. Whatever mechanism allowed him to understand Cytherian words didn't work both ways. Aesra, Vago called over the cheering crowd. That experimental language thing, or whatever you did in my head. What about it? Aesra called back over her shoulder. Something's wrong. I can understand their language. I can listen to it and piece together words. Having trouble speaking it, though. That is normal. The system is highly dependent on your language skills. Those that have a talent or develop the skill learn the language easier. You can understand it? Mostly. Can't speak it too good, though. I would count that as a miracle of science. So what you saying? You fluent, Isra? More or less? Could you translate something to my friend here? Vago tilted his head to the captain, still walking beside him. What do you want me to say? Kiss my ass. Isra rolled her eyes and spoke to the captain in Cytherian. My friend Vago says he means no harm to you or your people, and he remarks on the beauty of the city. That ain't remotely close to what I said, muttered Vago. The captain smiled. It is well he says this. There is no fiercer soldier in the universe than the Cytherian warrior defending his home. You would do well to keep this in mind during your visit. Okay, now can I tell him to kiss my ass? Vago asked. Althea, walking next to Isra, spoke over her shoulder. What did he say? Vago paused. You can't understand him? Althea shot Isra a distressed look, but the group leader patted her on the shoulder. Do not worry. The cerebral interface exploits connections already formed in the brain. Vago learned a second language when he came to Earth, which created certain pathways that make it easier to learn another language. You will pick it up. Just give it time. Althea's shoulders heaved, as if taking a deep sigh, but that seemed to satisfy her for a time. Vega's attention turned back to the people watching them from the walls. They pointed, cheered, and showered the procession with little bits of paper. Rocks and arrows were probably within reach as well. Vago took off his hat and wiped his forehead. It was a triple T withdrawal. It had to be. There was no reason for him to feel this uncomfortable. This threatened. It was a celebration, after all. They were being brought into the city like conquering heroes, and the people came out to greet them. He locked eyes with a young woman hanging precariously from the wall. The wind waved through her jet-black hair, and she gave him a smile that could shatter ice caps. He waved back and considered some of the upsides of this trip. There was another woman a few meters down. She wore a white dress similar to the emissaries that also clung to her curves in a way that helped Vago complete an enjoyable image in his own mind. She waved as the procession marched beneath her. Vago waved his hat at her before replacing it. And another, and another. Vago began to realize what was bothering him. It wasn't just the emissary whose graceful dance ahead of the procession gave Vago a slight limp in his step, or a few individuals waving at him from the walls. Every single one of them, every individual standing on the wall, could be a fashion model or make a fortune as a body type in the electric bordello. Most of the people cheering the parade were women, but the few men he saw looked like they stepped right off the sculptor's pedestal. Kronos? Vago started. Have you noticed that every single woman here is absolutely smoking? Vago didn't bother to finish the sentence. Kronos, walking beside him, stared up at the walls like a starving man who's just been introduced to the concept 
of an all-you-can-eat buffet. Vega refocused his attention on the soldiers marching in time behind him, even behind their helmets, bronze breastplates, tunics, and cloaks. There were faces and bodies that would have more than a few women on earth indulging in fantasies involving Greek heroes. Even the captain of the guard, with his older, rugged face complete with the scars of battle, and who still wouldn't stop staring at Vago out of the corner of his eye, wouldn't be able to move on earth without several women, and more than a few men, offering up accommodations for the night. Vago looked back up at the walls. This concentration of beauty wasn't natural. It was possible at the clubs in Rio, where there were a lot of wealthy patrons, and even more bouncers, but it wasn't something that just happened. Vago felt the unease creep back into his mind, even as a stunning blonde winked at him from the top of the wall. The emissary turned mid-dance and yelled in her heavily accented English, You are very popular. Many people come to see you arrive. You will have many friends in Cytheria. The road passed under a magnificent stone archway and ended in the courtyard of a gleaming white castle on a hill. This wasn't the crumbling mass of gray stone he occasionally saw during his travels in old Europe. This was something out of a storybook. It sat at the base of a mountain with gentle slopes that rose into the clouds. A city of squat, chalk-white buildings rose and fell on the hills that extended up the face of the Maxwell Mons, almost to the top where the slope became too steep to build. The castle itself was constructed of the same stone but was so brightly polished that it was hard to look at in the sunlight. A gleaming mass of spires, towers, and high white walls. The road led to a set of wooden doors that were lacquered and polished to the point that they gleamed almost as much as the castle itself. The emissary stopped a few meters from the door and gestured at the white stone building looming in front of them. This is the Sala Gran de Cytheria, the center of government and public life in our city. Arain Ha lives here. She's eager to meet with you. She will meet you in the garden. Follow me. Celia beckoned them onto a gravel path that led around the side of the castle, where they passed under an arch of trained vines and into a world of color. Plants, trees, and shrubs of every conceivable size and type grew in this lush little corner of the world. There were flowers in vibrant reds and deep violets as large as the bell of a trumpet. Flowering trees showered the gravel paths with petals. The air was heavy with the scent of sweet fruit, nectar, and blossoms. Among the bright green foliage, rows of stone statues carved of the same white rock dotted this little park. Vega walked carefully, afraid to touch anything, and spoil the cultivated perfection of this place. Celia stood underneath the arch and spoke in Cytherian. I will summon Arinha. It was good to meet you all. Please, she said, making an expansive gesture with her arms. Enjoy the heroes of Cytheria. The emissary turned and hurried away. Isra, Althea, Kronos, and Vago each wandered in separate directions to examine this place. Vago strolled down one path to get a good look at a particular statue. It was of a man who, at the time of carving, had been extremely angry about something, possibly something said about his mother. He wielded an axe over his head, as if he was about to turn whatever had angered him into two much smaller problems. Vago stopped circling the piece and just stared at the face carved in stone. The man's mouth was open, baring his teeth. In some part of his brain, Vago could hear the man's cry as he charged into battle. Even in stone, the eyes reflect a passion, drive, triumph, 
and other emotions that Vega only recognized by rough description anymore. Joano, said a woman who appeared behind him without his noticing. She continued in the Scytherian language. One of the greatest heroes of Scytherian lore. It is said that Joano was the first to unite the warring city-states of Scytheria against the Cosario from beyond the walls. Damn the haze again. It was killing him. How long had he been just standing there, staring at the statue's face? The woman smiled and continued, this time in English. I am sorry. Did I startle you? The woman spoke the language slower, as if not familiar with the words, but with less of an accent than the emissary. Nah, said Vago. Not, not really. He had trouble being even that eloquent. If the emissary and the women looking down at Vago from the wall were beautiful, then this woman was nothing short of a goddess. She was clearly an older woman from the subtle lines in her face, but far from being flaws, they added to an air of confidence and strength that made Vago a little unsteady on his legs. She had copper-colored hair that hung down past the small of her back, and she was dressed in a dark crimson tunic that added an ethereal grace to her every movement. This is one of my favorites, the woman continued in her own language. Come with me. I will show you another. Vago followed. He doubted he could summon the physical will to disobey, even if he wanted to. This is Mathis and Alicia. The woman stopped in front of a statue that featured a man and a woman armed with long, curved swords. I loved this couple's story as a little girl. Alicia was the daughter of a tyrant king who held her against her will. She saw Matthias outside the walls of the Salah during the Second Scytherian War, and they fell deeply in love. What happened? Vago asked. He decapitated the tyrant king and presented his head to Alicia as a wedding present. It is... A romantic story, I suppose. I'm getting positively choked up, said Vago. The woman smiled. Come, I have more to show you. By this time, Vago noticed the others had joined them as well. By the look on their faces, they seemed as perplexed by the woman as he was. And yet, they all followed her, caught in some kind of wake that they could neither define nor resist. She led them to a statue in the center of the courtyard, depicting an older man who had a strange, serene look on his face, given the context. The other sculptures featured men and women who looked like they had to remind themselves to pillage before they burned, but this one had hints of wisdom. However, his hands rested on the handle of a sword, suggesting that he had other options if wisdom failed. The founder of my house, she said, gesturing to the statue, Maximiliano. He is the man who made Scytherian society what it is today. He was the captain of the guard, when the people rebelled against Renha Horvia Matthias, and he showed the people that true freedom lies in obedience, loyalty, honor, and duty. How did he do that? said Vago. The woman turned and gave Isra a meaningful smile. He went to the lands beyond the city and led the Cosario. Once he did that, he gave the people a choice. They could honor their duty to the Renha and their city, or they could watch it burn around them. You must be the current Reinha, said Isra. Reinha Isabel? Reinha Isabel Maximiliano, replied the woman, raising her hand with her elbow bent at a 90-degree angle. Vega wasn't sure the gesture was a salute or something else, but he raised his hand to imitate it. Althea stood close to Vega, her voice a whisper. What is happening? I can't understand a thing. Not sure, to be honest, Vega whispered back. 
Just going with it. It is customary, Celia startled them with her unexpected return, to kneel before Arine Ha in a display of devotion. In return, she would give you a blessing of strength. Fagel looked at the emissary and the back of the Arine Ha, who remained standing straight, with her arm raised and an expectant look on her face. Isra was the first to lower herself to one knee, followed by Althea, Kronos, and finally Vago. The Arine Ha watched, with a satisfied smile on her face, as all four knelt in front of her. She started on the far right with Althea. She lowered her hand until it touched her red hair and said, Honora e Fossa. Then she moved to Isra, Vago, and lastly to Kronos. She touched each on the head and recited the same words. You are all welcome to the city of Cytheria, she said, switching to English. Isra got to her feet. Thank you, Reinha. On behalf of the people of Earth and the United Ministry of Terrestrial Citizens, I wish to... Isra trailed off as the Reinha turned and started walking away deeper into the garden. She turned to the emissary, speaking in Cytherian. Did I say something wrong? Celia's face scrunched into an apologetic frown and replied in English. Arinha Isabel despises pageantry and formalities. She sees it as a way of, how do you say, dressing the knife. Dressing the knife, Isra repeated. Being shot in the back with a pretty gun, Vago mumbled, watching Arinha saunter away. The woman stopped her slow stroll, looked over her shoulder, and waved the group forward with her hand. Come with me. I must show you Provacayo. The Rain Ha continued to stroll down the gravel path. The four members of the Human Reconnection Project exchanged quick glances. There was something off about Isabel. Bego felt it, and, judging from the looks of the team, so did everyone else. They all hesitated until Isra moved to follow the Arin Ha. The others followed her lead, and the emissary brought up the rear. Isra spoke over her shoulder to Celia. What is Provocayo? Celia spoke softly, as if she wasn't sure she should talk about it. It is the method by which children become adults and citizens of Cytheria. Why would she want us to see that? Vega was still struggling to translate his thoughts into Cytherian. Celia shrugged. Arinha is wise. She wants you to see, because you need to see. I see, Vega muttered. They all followed Arinha through the lush gardens, through a second archway, and around to the rear of the castle. Here the deep greens and bright colors gave way to cobbles, white stone pillars, and carved water features. The centerpiece was a fountain that extended a good ten meters in the air and shot water an additional ten. The shower cascaded into a series of pools, ending at a base wide enough to swim laps in. The rain ha led them around the fountain to a vehicle that looked like a gilded streetcar sitting on iron tracks that led away from the castle, through the city, and up the mountain. Two attendants in simple brown robes opened a set of sliding doors for Isabel and the others, including the emissary, followed her inside. They all took a seat on benches covered in cushions, roughly the same dark red color as Arinha's dress. In fact, the whole car seemed designed to coordinate with Arinha. She sat on a throne made of dark wood, inlaid with golden designs, and watched as her guests sat down, and another attendant in a brown robe brought a tray of ceramic mugs. Please, have a drink, she said taking a gilded cup from a tray held by an attendant. This is Hydormel, a drink of Cytheria, made of honey from fruit trees. Very rare. One of the attendants held a tray in front of Vago. He leaned forward and sniffed. 
He picked up heady, floral qualities and, Vago smiled, a sizable burn of alcohol. He helped himself to one because he figured taking two was presumptive. Tell me of our ancient home, said Arenha, leaning back and returning to a more comfortable language. We only know of earth through stories and songs of our ancestors. Isra took a mug. I am afraid that the world in those stories and songs no longer exists. Civilization faltered a thousand years ago. It is just now beginning to rise again. Our stories tell of people's struggle against a machine, continued Arain Ha, sipping her drink. A terrible entity with no heart and no soul that wanted to drive our people from the land. They tell of a heroic war that allowed Cytherians to escape to this world. That is all very likely, said Isra. There was a period when warfare dominated almost every part of the globe. Those that didn't die from disease or starvation died in a ditch for a piece of land made worthless by the intense fighting. Isabel leaned forward. It will always be war. It is the nature of our species. She paused and let a slight smile creep across her face. Then she looked at Vago. This man here. He knows of what I speak. Vago did, or at least a part of him did. It was the same part that sought out the hedonistic pleasures that now made the world dull and muted. It was the part he tried hard to suppress. Arain Ha leaned back. Tell me, why have you come to Cytheria? Isra sat up straight. The Human Reconnection Project has a single mission, Isra recited. We are here to explore and make contact with lost civilizations. Isabel let out an exasperated sigh and took a long drink from her gilded cup. Celia got up from one of the benches and hurried to stand in front of the group. Again, you must understand, our wise Arain Ha despises all form of dishonest pageantry and... Celia! Isabel's voice cut her emissary's words off with the precision of a blade. She turned back to Isra with a seductive smile. I am sure you have reasons, but they are not the reasons you think. Do you know... Why you are here? Isra watched the emissary sit down and cleared her throat. Arain Ha, the Ministry wants friendship, peace, and cooperation between our people. They have sent us here so that we might learn more about you and begin to forge that bond. Arain Ha leaned forward. The seduction in her face grew more intense. Seem, I know this, but do you know why you are here? Do you know what you want? What you really seek in Cytheria. Vigo glanced over at Isra sitting next to him. Her face was as cold and emotionless as ever. He couldn't tell if Arain Ha had caught her off guard, or if she wanted to pause in the conversation to emphasize the point she was about to make. Althea and Kronos also looked at Isra, waiting for a response as much as the person who had asked it. As I said, Isra began, I am a representative of the Ministry. They sent me here to learn about your people. You want control, said Arenha. A slam from the sliding doors emphasized her point. The whole car shook as it began to move up the track through the city. Arenha leaned back and looked at her visitors as if they were just another adequate object brought before the great queen. Not remarkable at all, and certainly not exceptionally gratifying, but sufficient. I read people well. I can look at them and know what they are thinking, what they truly desire. It is a gift. Great, thought Vago. 
casting a sideways glance at Isra. There are two of them. The two women stared at each other for a moment. Finally, Isra broke the silence and continued in English. Very well. What is it that you want, Isabel? Why have you contacted us now? Isabel tilted her head, as if the question were of little consequence. Circumstancia. It was simply time. Why should I believe that? We have searched Venus for many years without a single trace of civilization. Why now? Vago felt the track beneath the car get steeper as it started to crawl up the side of the mountain. Arenha smiled, as if pleasantly surprised that these people might be entertaining after all. Very well. I will show you. There is someone you should meet. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire. Templum Veneris, the second book of the Ruins of Empire project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Predator by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. City of Geeks. Independent new media. Produced in Idaho.